0: Hi everyone it's John Hagedorn and this is 1001 stories for the road today's story is about two guys whose love for the blues brought them together on stage on TV and then in the movies you might know them as Jake and Elwood or Dan and John but most people just call them the Blues Brothers we're going to take you back to April 22nd 1978 in the Saturday Night Live studio high up in New York City's NBC building when Paul Schaefer's time came to announce a new blues and soul band for their music segment. The band launched into a frenzied tempo and two performers dressed in black suits with thin black ties, black fedora hats, and Ray-Ban dark sunglasses rushed out amidst loud audience applause, grabbed the microphones, and introduced themselves as the Blues Brothers, Joliet Jake E. Blues, and Elwood J. Blues, already known to SNL fans as John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd. And with Aykroyd making the introductions and Belushi whipping up the already electrified studio audience by cartwheeling, clapping, and singing, they launched into a gutsy version of Hey Bartender, which brought the house down, along with millions of TV viewers who knew they were seeing history in the making. Fans of the show who had been with SNL at their start in 1976 might have recalled Aykroyd and Belushi singing I'm a King Bee, performing as Howard Shore in his all B band, wearing B suits and featuring Dan Aykroyd on harmonica and Belushi on vocals, belting out the blues in a style very much reminiscent of Sam and Dave in 1967 when they performed hits like Gimme Some Lovin' and Soul Man, a Steve Winwood song that Sam Moore is still performing well at last check. And this was no last-minute skit from the back room at SNL. Behind Elwood and Jake was a top-notch stage band led by Paul Schaefer, who had spent the last two years working with Dan and John to put this whole act together, incorporating the incredible talents of saxophonist Lou Marini and Tom Malone, a former Blood, Sweat & Tears member, guitarist Steve Cropper and bassist Donald Duck Dunn, both of whom had provided the sound for Booker T and the MGs, as well as almost everything that had come out of Memphis's Stax Records during the 1960s. Belushi and Aykroyd had been performing already for years. Blues was the glue that had brought them together, and blues was the glue that kept them going. They had met, as the story goes, in a dark and dingy club called the 505, owned by young Dan Aykroyd in Toronto in November of 1973. Aykroyd, having finished a day of work performing with Second City, Chicago's famed comedy troupe, which had a second location in Toronto, was in the bar at 2 a.m. one morning when a stocky figure rushed in wearing a leather jacket, a white scarf, and a five-point driver's cap of the sort that old cabbies used to wear. The two had met earlier that evening at Second City, and Aykroyd had issued the invite to stop by at the bar. Belushi had been working in New York at the National Lampoon Radio Hour, but was in Toronto scouting talent. The conversation trended to the blues on the jukebox, which was belting out Chicago and Memphis blues. Belushi was a hard rock fan, but he liked this. He asked what group it was. Aykroyd answered, it was a local group, the Downchild Blues Band. Belushi answers, blues, huh? I don't listen to much blues. And there was a brief silence. Then Aykroyd answered, John, you're from Chicago. From that day forward, they were good friends, like brothers. It wasn't long before they would become the Blues Brothers. Fast forward to 1976 in New York and Saturday Night Live. Aykroyd owned another bar, the Holland Tunnel Blues Bar, which he had rented not long after joining the cast, and it was common for SNL cast members and weekly hosts to attend the bar after the shows. The jukebox was filled with old Sam and Dave songs, as well as records from the punk band The Vile Tones so they had something for everybody. Belushi had brought an amplifier and kept instruments on hand for anybody who wanted to play, and it was here that Dan and John carved out their future as the Blues Brothers, and here that Belushi started writing the movie he knew would come. They were singing with local blues bands, perfecting the sound and the stage act. They soon took on a look. The hats and the reband Wayfarers, said Aykroyd, were inspired by John Lee Hooker. They also borrowed some of their stage presence from the previously mentioned Downchild Blues Band, which Acroyd, Canadian by birth, had been familiar with in Ottawa, seeing them at the Hibbo Coffee House there, along with other acts that ranged from Muddy Waters to James Cotton and Otis Spann. Belushi, who was a rock fan, was still making the conversion to blues in Eugene, Oregon, during the hiatus between SNL seasons two and three, while he was filming Animal House, and it was there that he met Curtis Salgado the front man for Roomful of Blues, and a big name on the Northwest Pacific blues scene. Belushi would visit his act at the Eugene Hotel, and he added this act to what he had already learned, putting the final touch on Joliet Jake Blues. The SNL show led to an album, Briefcase Full of Blues, in 1978, and then the movie, The Blues Brothers, directed by John Landis, in 1980. To promote the film, John and Dan, along with John Goodman, Performed at halftime at Super Bowl XXXI, along with ZZ Top and James Brown. The performance was preceded by a stadium news announcement that the Blues Brothers had escaped custody and were on their way to the Louisiana Superdome. The 1980 film, featuring epic car chases with the Blues Mobile and musical performances by legendary Aretha Franklin, James Brown, Cab Calloway, Ray Charles, and John Lee Hooker, to name a few, grossed $57 million, making it the 10th highest-grossing movie of 1980. And it all started on that Saturday Night Live stage in New York City back on April 22, 1978. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Stories for the Road. It's rubber meets the road time for us here at 1001 Stories Network, and we're asking for your support. We're asking you to become a monthly subscriber to our show. The cost is $2.99 a month, about the same cost as a blended coffee at most places that sell it. It's easy to listen to my shows every week, shows that I've been doing for three years now, and it's free. When you send us reviews telling us you love our shows, I take it to heart. When you suggest ideas you would like us to try, I always respond quickly, and many times we'll bring that suggestion to life. It's easy to figure that somebody else is paying the bill for the entertainment, but the truth is, advertisers come and go, and very few people actually take the time to subscribe. That $2.99 a month is a big deal for my shows because it helps to pay hosting fees, app fees, and all the expenses 1001 occurs on this end. Researching, writing, interviewing from a studio I have to rent, narrating, editing, marketing, and distributing these shows in order to keep it going. You might be a fan of all our 1001 shows, or just 1001 stories for the road. That doesn't matter. The subscription fee helps me keep them all coming. So I'm asking you to take a few minutes now and go to the link in the show notes or at 1001storiesfortheroad.com and to become a premium member. If just one out of every three of you took a moment to do this, it would be a huge help. I know it's a sacrifice and I know it takes time, but I'm asking you to be that person and show your appreciation for what we're doing here. It's credit card or PayPal and it's safe. Libsyn, our host, is the oldest, biggest, and best of the podcast host companies, and they offer this secure site for subscribers. Joining us makes you a premium member and supporter of our show, and with that you get the satisfaction of knowing that your monthly gift is helping to support a family-friendly show that offers an amazing mixture of historical stories and drama, along with classic literature. Unlike many of today's podcasts, which are full of explicit words and material. We offer content that teaches history, uncovers mysteries, probes the mind, tells of legends, and brings past heroes to life. Best of all, you can share our episodes from all three of our shows, 1001 Heroes, 1001 Stories for the Road, and 1001 Classic Short Stories with anyone in the family. We receive lots of reviews that tell us of moms and dads listening in the car with the kids of wives and husbands sharing our show, and similar. The knowledge gained from being a fan of 1001 is immense. For me, it's a fantastical journey, and each story takes me down another path to adventure and learning. We used to say that being a fan of the show means never being at a loss for something to talk about in a conversation. How true! You all know how much I appreciate your listening. Now it's time to take a minute and show yours. We need your support, and I'm asking you to step up. Now check the show notes, download the free app, that's 1001 Stories Network, then subscribe. You'll feel great that you're supporting one of the last non-corporate-owned independent podcasters who provides family-friendly entertainment. Thank you very much. See you soon.